Tech On Demand, our stated goal is to help you grow your best crops ever, and our multimedia resources often dig deep into specific production best practices related to different crops, mini-series on highly technical topics and tactics, and strategies for certain stages of plant growth. This time we're taking a bit different approach and discussing preparation for spring production, specifically setting yourself up and your team up to nail nutrition strategies throughout the season. I'm happy to welcome the newest member of the Tech On Demand team, Dr. Josh Henry, who's truly an expert in this subject. Josh is a technical services specialist at Ball Seed, and his background is in plant nutrition and fertility with an emphasis on greenhouse and nursery production and turf grass management. Josh has a HORT degree from The Ohio State University and an MS and PhD in horticultural science from NC State. Josh, welcome. And, and why do you think this topic, doing the prep work to successfully execute an effective plant nutrition strategy, is critical for our listeners and viewers? Thanks, Bill. Yeah, I think uh, fertilizers in young plant production is a very important subject that we need to talk about, mainly because if you think about young plants, they're being grown in a very small uh, volume of substrate. And that small volume is uh, very uh, susceptible to issues in terms of running out of nutrition or accumulating too much nutrition. Um, and you need to just really dial it in and make sure that you are giving them what they need on uh, not just a week by week basis, but even on a day by day basis. So that's really why I uh, wanted to put this presentation together and kind of present an early season checklist for plant nutrition to help you get started as we're really getting uh, jumping into the season. Some of the things that I wanted to discuss, uh, basically, have you uh, tested your water supply? And when I say tested your water supply, I mean, have you done it recently uh, within the last year? Um, because water changes over time, and it's important to know what those changes in the chemistry of your water are. Also, have you calibrated your injectors recently and made sure that they're all operating properly? You don't have any mineral buildup or anything like that. And then I also made a secondary checklist to see if you have uh, all of these different supplies and equipment in your greenhouse, uh, including a in-house nutrition testing toolbox so that you can test the pH and EC of your crops, uh, making sure that you have multiple fertilizer options depending on what crops you're growing and the needs of those crops, making sure that you have different micronutrient supplement options available, and then also making sure that you have options to increase or decrease your pH uh, if that becomes an issue in your crop. So to start off, I wanted to discuss a little bit about water testing. Again, it's something that you should probably aim to do annually if possible. Uh, you may feel like you have a good understanding of your water, but it's important to understand that all water can have inherent variability in it. And that can also uh, relate to whether you're using surface water, well water, or city water. Generally, surface water tends to be the most variable, uh, and you can see issues with things like sodium accumulation in the winter, uh, especially if you live in a more northern climate. Um, so those are some of the things that you need to consider when you are looking at your water source. Well water tends to be a little bit less variable and city water tends to be a little bit more consistent. However, I think it's important to also note that consistency doesn't necessarily mean that the water quality is good for growing plants. Uh, there's a lot of things that can be in city water, such as uh, chlorides that aren't good for plant growth. So 
Uh, whatever source of water you're using, it's important to submit it for water analysis so you understand what's going on there. Submitting uh, your water for nutrient analysis can also help you find any kind of imbalances, whether you have too much or not enough of a certain nutrient. That can be especially important for things like calcium and magnesium when you're talking about the hardness of your water and whether those minerals are actually present or not. And then I think one of the most important things that you need to consider when submitting a water test is knowing your pH and more importantly, your alkalinity. And we're not going to get too deep into alkalinity right now, but alkalinity is a great way to measure the buffering capacity of your water and how easily it's going to be uh, changed in terms of pH. With low alkalinity water tending to change pH very easily and high alkalinity water, it, it can be a lot harder to change that pH over time. So here's a good table that kind of shows some of the classes of alkalinity that we would see in water. Uh, generally, low alkalinity is going to be in the 0 to 75 parts per million uh, calcium carbonate equivalent range, uh, ranging all the way up to a very high alkalinity, alkalinity, which would be somewhere in the 300 parts per million or more. And based on where your alkalinity tests, you may or may not want to add acid to the system and do acid injection to help kind of uh, cancel out some of that alkalinity so that you can maintain your pH a lot more easily. So generally, when you have low alkalinity, you may not need to do any acid injection at all. And you may even want to use some more basic fertilizers, which are going to be those that are higher in nitrate and nitrogen. And as your alkalinity starts to increase, that you also may want to consider uh, injecting acid. And if you have not injected acid before or you need some help figuring out how much you need to uh, put into your system, there are some great resources like AlkCalc from the University of New Hampshire available um, that can help you. You can just submit the values that you got from your water test, put it into the system, and it'll give you some really good numbers to start with in terms of how much acid you should be injecting. Another important consideration is injector maintenance. Uh, you know, a lot of times we think if it's not broke, we don't really need to look at it, but it's important to every season go through and make sure everything's operating properly. Um, it doesn't really matter which type of uh, injector you're using. It's still important to make sure that everything is working correctly cleaning any filters, removing any kind of debris that's built up in those filters, and then even dissolving mineral buildups if that's an issue that you have in your water. Again, like if you have uh, very hard water with high levels of calcium and magnesium, those can tend to build up in your injectors, in your pipes, and it's really good to make sure that you can uh, dissolve those, disassemble your uh, injector if, if, you, if you know how to do so, and kind of get, kind of get rid of those mineral buildups. It's also important that you replace any seals and worn components, and those are going to vary depending on your injector. So I highly recommend working with um, either your uh, fertilizer distributor or your, um, your supplier in terms of your injector and make sure that you have uh, replaced all the pieces that need replacement and also that you can have replacement parts on hand, extra seals and uh, extra filters, anything else. Uh, that's a component of the injector that may go out sometime in the season. Make sure you have those pieces on hand so that you don't have to, uh, you know, scramble to uh, fertilize your plants in the middle of the season. And one of the last things I want to touch on with injectors is to make sure that you are calibrating correctly. 
And so calibration is a very easy thing to do, uh, especially with some of the dosatron type injectors. You can really easily determine what the ratio is by uh, knowing the volume of stock solution that you are injecting out of and uh, injecting into a known volume of, uh, of, of fertilizer solution. So for instance, if you put the injection tube down into a stock tank or a graduated cylinder of known volume, and then you uh, allow five gallons, for instance, of uh, diluted solution to come through the hose, and then you measure how much you used in that stock tank, you can determine what your ratio is. So there's some really good resources out there. Again, the University of New Hampshire has a, a really great resource on how to calibrate if it's something that you haven't done before, but I highly recommend that you try doing that. One of the other things that's really important to have on hand is your plant nutrition toolbox so that you can do in-house pH and EC monitoring. So here you can see a really great picture of my own uh, plant nutrition toolbox. You can see some of the important components being the pH EC meter. There's lots of options available out there. Uh, some test pH or EC independently, some do both. Those ones can uh, be really great options. Um, having your calibration solution available so that you can actually calibrate your pH and EC meter and feel sure that it's actually measuring the pH and EC correctly. It's important to have some saucers and cups to collect leachate or collect substrate depending on what testing method you're using. Um, so having things to just collect substrate and, and, and water solution are important. Distilled water is a really important aspect of taking pH and EC tests. You want to make sure that you are using a nice clear water that's not going to distort your final readings. So distilled water is, is a great and relatively inexpensive option uh, to help you take these types of tests. And then a storage box is something that is optional, but it's definitely very helpful to keep everything together um, and be able to take it around the greenhouse. So it's also important that you know your testing method. Some of the main ones used in young plant production include the one to two dilution, where you take one part substrate and two parts water and mix them together. Uh, the press testing method, where you basically squeeze some of the water solution out of the bottom of your plugs or liners and collect that to test. And then the pour through where you pour a solution over the surface of the substrate and let it run out the holes in the bottom. So all of these are viable testing methods. It's important to understand that depending on which testing method you use, that the values that you're aiming for, your targets are going to change depending on which method you're using. And there's a lot of great published resources out there that can help you find what those optimal values are. One really great resource can be found on Ball Seed's website under the Young Plants section. You can see there is a Ornamental Plants Plug Growing Chart. Uh, it's a very large chart that has a pretty highly representative list of crops, and it also shows uh, some other important environmental conditions, moisture levels, soil temperatures uh, for different stages of plug production. But the reason I bring it up here is because it also gives you some really great targets in terms of uh, how much fertilizer you should be applying in terms of the parts per million nitrogen and also your target EC, uh, which is going to vary a lot depending on both the plug stage and the species. 
So speaking of fertilizers, it's important to know what fertilizer options you have available and which ones you definitely should be using and why you should be using them. Uh, one of the main things to consider is whether the fertilizer formulation that you're using is an acidic fertilizer, a neutral fertilizer, or a basic fertilizer. And as you can see in this table here, we've got a bunch of different formulations listed and the amount of acidic nitrogen that is in each of these formulations. And what I mean by acidic nitrogen is ammoniacal and urea nitrogen. So ammoniacal and urea nitrogen tend to be more acidic, whereas nitrate nitrogen tends to be more basic. And if you look at the ratio of nitrate to ammoniacal nitrogen, that can give you a good idea of whether the fertilizer is going to be acidic or basic. So you see, I have some of these rows bolded, including the 2010-20, and 13-2-13. And the reason I bolded these is because these are some of the primary ones used in the plug-in liner industry. And if you look at all of these, you can see they can range from 40% uh, acidic nitrogen in the 2010-20 down to just about 5% acidic nitrogen in the 13-2-13. So um, what, even though it's important to know which ones tend to be more acidic and which ones tend to be more basic, it's important to know what the needs of your crop are. And again, going back to understanding your water quality, it's important to understand if uh, you have issues with high pH and high alkalinity, it may be worth it using more of a neutral to acidic fertilizer uh, to prevent your pH from creeping up over time. Or if you have a low alkalinity for uh, water, it may be worth it using the 13213 or, or another more basic fertilizer to uh, keep your pH from dropping too low. Another consideration when you are choosing your fertilizer formulation is if you want compact or lush growth. Typically, when we're growing plugs and liners, we want to make sure that they stay fairly compact. And one of the best ways to do that is to use the more highly nitrate-based fertilizers, like a 13-2-13, which tend to yield a more compact plant. And then if you want to try and push the growth a little bit, you may want to switch to a higher ammoniacal nitrogen fertilizer, like a 20-10-20. And this is one of the reasons why growers will often switch between multiple formulations over the course of the production cycle to make sure that the plants are getting the right ratio of nitrate to ammonium and they're not being too compact and they're also not too lush. I briefly, you know, wanted to just call into question nutrient ratios. In general, that's not a huge issue in plug production, but uh, it's important to consider the ratio of nitrogen and potassium as well as some of the other nutrients. Generally speaking, the fertilizers that we're using are going to be one-to-one -one nitrogen to potassium. Uh, but it's just something to keep in mind when you're considering which crops you're producing. And then one last thing I wanted to question was also whether the formulation you're using is truly complete or not. Um, if you take 2010-20, for example, it has a complete package of NP and K, and it also has your micronutrients, but it doesn't really have calcium, magnesium, or sulfur. On the other hand, you have some of the CalMag fertilizer formulations like a 13213 that have plenty of calcium and magnesium, which are of course very important for young plants that are being produced. So uh, you have to keep those things in mind when you're picking which fertilizer formulation to use. Here's just an example of that with a 13213 guaranteed analysis compared to a 201020 uh, guaranteed analysis. You can see that 
In both of these, they have a pretty comprehensive package of nutrients, but the 13-2-13 has a pretty sizable amount of calcium and magnesium, whereas the 2010-20 does technically have a little bit of magnesium, but generally it's considered to be quite low compared to what most plants need. Again, here it also lists uh, any good fertilizer label will, will list that potential basicity or acidity at the bottom in terms of calcium carbonate equivalents per ton. So you don't necessarily need to know what this number means, but it's just a good indication as to how basic, how neutral, or how acidic a certain fertilizer is. And again, you can check the percentage of ammoniacal nitrogen uh, in both of these different blends. You can see the 13213 has just about 6% of its nitrogen coming from the ammoniacal nitrogen sources, and the 201020 has 40% of that nitrogen coming from ammoniacal nitrogen sources. So being able to just look at those couple of things can tell you whether that fertilizer is going to drive the pH up, down, or keep it roughly where it is. So uh, another good thing to keep in mind when you're growing is that you may need to adjust your pH regardless of uh, what you've already done early in the season to make sure your pH is where you want it. We all know that pH can tend to creep up or down, uh, de even depending on crop as the season progresses. So if you need to lower your pH, if you are injecting acid, uh, just consider uh, adjusting that acid injection rate. It may not be quite right and you may need to dial it in. Um, you can also consider using a more acidic fertilizer like we discussed using a 2010-20 for instance. You can consider doing acid drenches. Here's a great table uh, that shows you based on the alkalinity of your water and what acid source you want to use how much of that acid you should use to achieve a certain pH. One thing to keep in mind though also with the acid drench is that you want to make sure the, uh, that you don't over apply uh, any kind of acid, you know, because that can be very detrimental to the plant's growth. You can potentially burn the plants and you want, so you want to make sure that you are not over applying it. You want to basically make sure that the plug tray is not too dry when you make that application. And you also want to apply it only to the point where it just slightly starts dripping out of the bottom of the tray. You can also use iron sulfate as an option. However, iron sulfate tends to be a little less consistent in terms of the response. So that one is generally not recommended quite as much, but it's something that you can look into if you want to try and uh, lower your pH. You may also need to raise your pH depending on uh, what you're seeing in your crop. When you have too low of pH, you can run into issues with iron and manganese causing toxic accumulation in the lower leaves, and you can see symptoms like these uh, on some geranium leaves on the screen. Again, if you're having issues with low pH and you need to raise your pH, you may consider adjusting your acid injection if that's something that you're already doing. You can switch to a more basic fertilizer like a 13213, and you can also consider doing flowable or liquid lime drenches. There's a lot of products out there. Uh, Calox, for instance, is one that you can use. You can use the label rates. Uh, generally, when you're using flowable or liquid limes, the rates are going to be around one pound per hundred gallons in terms of uh, what you're going to be applying as a drench. And just like with acids, you want to make sure that you are applying your lime uh, when the plants are not too dry, and you also don't want to overapply just to the point where it's starting to drip out of the bottom of the tray. 
There are some other options available out there, uh, including potassium bicarbonate and hydrated lime. However, these can tend to cause burn issues on plants a lot more easily than a flowable or liquid lime would. And so you need to keep that in mind, especially with young plants that tend to be a lot more tender and a lot more sensitive. And you wanna make sure that you're not going to accidentally burn them uh, with the materials you're applying. The last thing I wanted to touch on was supplemental fertilizers. You can see some pictures here. Uh, the upper picture, you can see there's some calibrachoa with tip abortion. And in the lower picture, you can see uh, some intervenal chlorosis on the upper leaves. And these are going to be cases where you may want to get a individual nutrient supplement to apply to those plants. Uh, it's always good to have a complete micronutrient package on hand, just in case you need to apply some extra micronutrients. Uh, there's great options out there like STEM, uh, MOST, and Axolo. Uh, but if you're looking for individual nutrient supplements, some of the main ones you're going to want to consider are calcium. And some of the best sources for those would be things like calcium nitrate or calcium chloride. Uh, boron is an important one to have some supplemental fertilizer available for. Uh, you can use things like solubor or borax. And then iron is going to be another one of the really big ones that you want to make sure you have a supplement on hand. Uh, iron chelates are always going to be a lot better than uh, a sulfate form of iron in terms of absorption. So I highly recommend that you look at chelated iron sources. Uh, and with the chelated iron sources, you may see lots of different technologies like EDDHA, DTPA, and EDTA. In general, all of these sources are going to be really good, but uh, EDDHA tends to be kind of the Cadillac uh, or the best option in most cases, and that's because it tends to be most stable at high pH. When you start using things like EDTA, they tend to become less stable at neutral to high pH, and so you may not get quite as good of nutrient use efficiency compared to your EDDHA chelations. The last uh, nutrient that you should have something on hand for, I would say, is magnesium and you can just get some Epsom salts, which is magnesium sulfate. So it's a great source of magnesium that can help green things up if you need that. Um, and it's also a great source of sulfur if your plants tend to be low in sulfur. The one thing I'll uh, just say before I close out here is it's important to make sure that you are diagnosing things correctly. Uh, so there's lots of sources available online. You can work with your distributors and their technical teams to help you diagnose problems. And you can even submit uh, tissue or substrate samples to the lab for analysis to make sure that your diagnosis is correct and you're actually applying what the plant needs. So uh, those are just some things that you should keep in mind as you are looking out at your plants and making sure that they're getting the nutrition that they need. And so with that, Bill, uh, do you have uh, some other advice for ways that you can find information online? I do. I do. And uh, thank you so much, Josh. I think you gave a, a really excellent rundown on some of the things that growers need to, to pay attention to when they're, you know, planning for success this year and really understanding what, what goes into plant nutrition, everything all the way back to making sure you have a water test and you know where you're starting. And then as you ran through a lot of the information on making sure your injectors are clean and maintained and calibrated, and then into the specific uh, nutritional strategies that they're going to want to work with. And thank you so much for your time today. And when it comes to resources, it's one of the things that we really strive to, to do well at Tech On Demand is to bring resources in a multimedia way. 
We have a weekly newsletter with timely tips and information that we share, uh, hopefully to uh, to get you uh, get you excited and ready for for what's going to be hitting you in the next few weeks. Uh, we have a podcast with more than 100 episodes covering a range of topics, as well as more than 150 videos at this point, like this one that that either go deep into a specific topic or offer more of a uh, a wider approach to something that every every one of you is going to experience over the course of a growing season. Uh, Josh, I was excited when you showed a chart from the Red Book because that's uh, that's one of the things that we're very proud of at Ball is the legacy of the Ball Red Book now in its 19th edition, believe it or not. And then for a peer-to-peer community, you can go on Facebook and search Greenhouse Tech Team. All you have to do is answer a couple questions so that uh, I know that you're uh, not a hobbyist, that you are a professional grower, and we'll let you right in. And every day there are questions posted and answers and all sorts of content related to culture in the greenhouse. And uh, yes, so definitely take advantage of those resources. And we will continue to uh, share more and more as, as the days and years go on. And Josh, again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Bill.